If you would, take your Bibles in hand and turn in them to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. The book of Hebrews, chapter 5. We are now part number 7, chapter 5, Deliver Us from Ignorance. It was based off this first understanding of general humanity that every high priest of Israel possessed and could minister therefore to the people in 5.2 can have compassion on those who are ignorant. Today I'd like to begin by reading chapter 5 beginning in verse 11. Would you follow along as I read? Of whom we have much to say. And hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, as we bow this morning, we pray that as it rains outside, blessed rain that causes growth, we pray that you would rain on us through the power of your Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and thereby cause us to grow in our maturity, that we would grow unto maturity, that we might be useful for your glorification, for the body's edification, and, Lord, prepared for our eventual glorification. Thank you, God, for your word. Even your words of admonishment, Lord, are to us and are to your people a blessing, a drawing us back to yourself, and even expanding our ability to commune with you. We pray, Lord, that you would expand us today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Hebrews from the outset is not a book that can be taken lightly. If you take it lightly, you usually will take it and leave it on the side and not read it at all because you can't take it lightly. It demands that we study, demands that we learn, demands that we be stretched like these Hebrews who first received these words so many years ago for all the applications come directly to us as well and are needed in our lives. It is truly, as we've called this book, Advanced Theology 101, or perhaps we should call it 701. It is certainly in the graduate course of study. The Hebrews Christians are, are in need at this point in this message of being called back to order. This is a sense where they have been listening to this book, these words written by the author of Hebrews, and he senses that he's losing his audience. 
that they are starting to go back to traditional ways of thinking. They're putting things to the side. They are not listening very carefully. And he's calling them back by way of admonishment to the hearing of the message about Jesus Christ, the new great high priest. Not a high priest of the tribe of Levi, but rather a new great high priest of the tribe of Judah. He who was God, very God, but also man, very man. He was God who took on humanity and laid aside the voluntary use of his deity. And so thereby understands our weakness and may be to us a great high priest. This must be digested. This must first be taught and then digested for it to be appropriated in our lives and in the lives of these Hebrews. The corrective, the callback to listening comes in the form of admonishment in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 in which we will find four signs of Christian immaturity and that is given to the Hebrews so that they may respond in repentance and set their minds on the goal of Christian maturation and even direct their efforts toward that purpose to become mature Christians. We opened the first two of these four last week and we saw that the first sign of Christian immaturity was found in verse 11. Speaking of this great high priest of the order of Melchizedek, verse 11 then says, Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing. A dullness of hearing, not just because they are physically incapacitated, have overused their ears on heavy machinery or at the forge on the anvil, but rather purposefully they have become dull of hearing closing their ears off to these new teachings because they are difficult for them to put into their construct of understanding as to who and what God is. And having done so, that inhibits the teacher's ability to explain. He says, there is much to say. I need to teach you this, but because you're purposefully dulling yourselves to this message, it is inhibiting my ability to explain this to you. He's asking for them to open their minds and hear. But it also inhibits the learner's ability to understand. If you've already decided what you think on any given subject, then it is impossible to teach you anything. The dullness is a purposeful pride that says we already know what we're going to believe about this and we shan't let you add to our knowledge. We're a closed mind. Secondly, we looked at there was a censoring of them for their infantile mindset, and here we find the three other signs of immaturity. Last week, we looked at the second sign of immaturity. They were censored for their infantile mindset that uh, was marked by a lack of progress in verse 12. He said, for this time you ought to be teachers. And the you here is specific to the Hebrew Christians that he is speaking to. 
They are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they have hang-ups that go back to their history as Hebrews, and even with the law and following the system of the Mosaic law, that now they need to put to the side and accept this new great high priest of the new covenant. And so they're censored for their marked lack of progress, as our text says in verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers. These are the Hebrews to whom the Holy Scriptures were given. All of the foreshadowings of Jesus Christ, even as high priest, come to them in the Scriptures they have owned for centuries. And having found those there, they should be prepared better than a Gentile to receive this teaching about Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Even one who would need to die to become that great high priest who has suffered all things, even death on the cross, for the cause of God, very God. It was to them that Zechariah had written in chapter 12, verse 10, where God says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication." Then they will look on, listen, then they will look on me, he says, personal pronoun, whom they have pierced. God says, I'm pouring out my spirit. They will look on me whom they pierced, me being God the Son, dying, foreshadowing the cross. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn, picturing and foretelling Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. It was there if they weren't so dull of hearing. And even to the Jews of the days of Paul, we read that Jew and Gentile alike struggled over this doctrine that God would come as a man and die on behalf of men. For Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 1 23 says, but we preach Christ. Oh, he didn't end there. He says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. They stumble over it. How can God die? God can't die and be God. Wrong? There's something you didn't see. That God would take on humanity and die. But it was predicted in Isaiah, in Zechariah, in Hosea, in many more. By now you should be teachers. To the Jews, a stumbling block, but listen to this, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Even people today say, why would we believe in a God who died? And I say, because he rose again and he lives. That needs to be accepted. But I take us to our new study today, the third sign of Christian immaturity. The third sign of Christian immaturity. We go back to verse 12 again. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, listen now, you need someone to teach you again the first principles 
of the oracles of God. So thirdly, they are censored here by the writer of Hebrews for a manifest need. That means a very obvious need, a remedial training. Remedial training. Remedial means something you've been taught once, and you now need to go over it again. I know that has never been a need for any of you here, but you know people who are really in need of this. We, of course, say that laughingly. They're censored for a manifest need of remedial training. You need someone to teach you again. They have a need. You need, this indicates a great lack, something that they lack, that there is a want, or if you will, there is a requirement needed that must be fulfilled for progress to continue. Without this, you can't go on. And the this that is needed are the basics. Are the basics. The first principles could also be translated as the fundamentals. The fundamentals of the faith. Or if you will, the foundational truths of Christianity. Even more basic than that, it can be defined as the first lessons. If you want to put it in the sense of learning language, these are the ABCs. If you go to and set out to learn a new language, the first thing you need to learn, if you're going to use this language in the written form, you must know the alphabet. That is the progress of every child in school, and often once they get it down, then it is a test that is given by everyone in the family. Do you know your ABCs? Oh, yes, I do. Well, tell me your ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Some of you were doing it with me. I saw it. So you have no need for the ABCs again, and by now you should be teachers of the ABCs. See where this is going. If you know it, you got to teach it. And if you need to be taught it again, you don't know it. You need to be taught again the first principles of Christianity. Were you even listening to me, the mother says to the child, when she now repeats the lesson for the 100th time. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Were you even listening? That's exactly what's happening in the text of Scripture here. Are you listening? What's wrong with you? And the reason that he's saying that is there is a clear and present danger there's a clear and present danger in every Christian's life who is absent on the day the fundamentals were taught. And I don't mean not present physically, but that they had become dull of hearing and refused to learn. And that creates a problem. Paul in the book of Colossians reminds us of the danger in the world we live in as Christians. As Christians, we live in a dangerous world, and the Bible is full of warnings. And it's full of warnings, particularly to those who are in a state 
of immaturity. That the immature are the most vulnerable. Listen to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Paul speaking to the believers in Colossae saying this, and he begins by warning, beware. Be wary. Be wary. That means to be on your guard, to be alert. If anyone in the old centuries were to cry out, where? It doesn't mean where, like what's the location, but to be aware there is danger. Paul says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. You know, the worst feeling in the world is, is to find out that you bought the whole enchilada from that telemarketer on the phone. That sinking feeling, I've been duped. How could I be so? You fill in the blank. And here I am. I gave them my credit card information. That was so stupid. Well, here you are. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Listen, according to the tradition of men. According to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. The message here is, by now you should be teachers, but I need to teach you again the first principles of Christ. And without the first principles of Christ, Paul is piggybacking on that and saying, if you don't have the first principles of Christ, the world is out there with their first principles and they're ready to teach them. And as a matter of fact, they are much more accomplished at teaching you their philosophy, their errors, and their deceit than we are as Christians. Can I have an amen? You realize the only people that tell you they don't want to hear your Christian philosophy are the ones who are constantly giving you their worldly philosophy? So basically they say, you shut up, let us be the teachers. And you know what has happened in the church? By and large, we have capitulated. We have let them do it. We don't confront things that we should confront that are in error. And we must needs do this. With the first principles at least. Say, so that's not part of our alphabet. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Sounds like something the world would teach. It's foolishness. There are two world systems at war. Beware. Beware. And they're both teaching. There's Christianity and Christ the truth of the Bible, and there is everything else, every religion else, every philosophy else, are all one philosophy, a philosophy built on error. And they are vying for the minds of ignorant Christians and hoping they will succumb to the basic principles of the world and give themselves over to it. Even Paul's disciples in Galatia, though some Jews were there as well, but even the Jews and the 
Greek Christians were in danger of falling into old patterns, even old patterns from the Old Testament that have nothing to do now with Christ other than foreshadowing them. We read there in Galatians chapter 4, these words in verse 8. Paul is saying, But then indeed, when you did not know God, listen, you serve those which by nature were not gods. When you were in the world system, before you believed in Jesus Christ, you served false gods, God's little g. You served them, you went after them, you had their philosophy, you lived by them. Though they are not gods. But now, listen, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, can I give something for free there? Just stop there. Let me read that again. But now after you have known God, listen to the corrective he puts in theologically. Or rather are known by God. That's a key theological construct. There are many people that say they know God. Jesus even mentions them at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Many of them, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. See, the real key about Christianity isn't that you know God, but that God knows you as one of his own. That's the real Christianity. I can say, I know, I know, I know all I want. But when God knows me, then I'm secure. I must move on, that's for free, and if that makes you think hard, good. On we go. But now after you have known God, or rather known by Him, now pay attention right here. How is it? How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? He once searched these gods, little g, you're out there following the way of the world. Why after now you're known by God do you even want to go back to these fake gods, this false religion, these philosophies? What are you doing? Haven't you been listening? I've told you once. I've told you a thousand times. There's nothing there. They are not real gods. And this is all based upon some wonderful things that God has been doing to them and showing them that they are now in a different status. Well, look at chapter 4 of Galatians just a little bit deeper, and we'll go to verse 17 now if you'd follow me there. Speaking of those who are against the gospel and truth, it says this in verse 17, They zealously court you. Court me? Do they want to get married? Courtship? Why are they courting me? Well, how do people act when they're courting someone they're interested in marrying? With great deference, flowers, candy. If you didn't know that, men, repent. Dinner's out. Nice things. Even things you maybe have forgot to say to your wife or to your husband. It's Father's Day. Ladies, when's the last time you looked at your husband and said, 
My, you look handsome today. Oh, too many smiles out there. You're guilty as charged. That's what you do when you're courting. A little flattery, some gift giving, saying things. Oh, I think the very same thing about that as you do. We're so alike. We think the same things. We act the same way. I think we even have the same mannerisms. We're just perfect. That's why he uses this term. When they are courting you, they are acting like they actually like you and want to spend eternity with you, but that's not what they're doing. Listen, they zealously court you, but for no good. What? They've got false motives? Yes. That's what Paul even says. Yes, comma, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. They want to cut you out of the fold of Jesus Christ and move you into their fold so that they can count your head, got another one, away from the church. See, there's nothing there anyway. And if you don't know your ABCs, you're going down faster than those who do that they may take you, that they may keep you for themselves. Now, these are the Hebrews being talked to in this very same way as well. In Hebrews chapter 5, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. They are censored for a manifest need of remedial training. If you're immature, you need to be retrained. You can't articulate the basic truths of the doctrines of God and of the Bible and of Jesus Christ. And some of you are already panicked right now. Good. I hope you are being where? It's dangerous out there. And even these Hebrews, it's even worse when you have the Bible in your hand. And that is even marked out as you turn back to Hebrews 5 and you look again at verse 12. By now you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again. Listen, the first principles of the oracles of God. What God has spoken. When it ever says oracles, I mean what was spoken by God. And by the way, that is the way this book began. God who speaks to man, and man being then responsible for what God has spoken. Listen, Hebrews 1, 1. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers. Whose fathers? The Hebrews' fathers. All the way to Abraham. By the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the worlds. That God spoke, and they have had the oracles of God. They should know the basic principles of the truth. And that becomes, even for us by way of application, a great, a great weight on our shoulders, does it not? 
a convicting reality that we of all peoples of all ages have the Bible in our hands as Christians. We have it in paper form. We have it in digital form. It's somewhere out there in the ethernet, they tell me. It can be accessed day or night with power, without power. However you might want it, you can listen to it on, on uh, some sort of player. You can have it come through you and do it on your audible thing. And you can put it in your headphones. You can put it on your bedstand. You can put it everywhere. But is it going into your heart? We have more access than anyone on the face of the planet to the word of God and thereby are responsible to know it. We are even in a worse state than these Hebrews. Even in Romans, Paul speaking of the Hebrews having great advantage. Though they even have rejected and fallen into sin themselves, he then says, well, what advantage has the Jew? Or what profit of circumcision? He answers his own question in this way in Romans 3, verse 2. He says, much in every way. Chiefly because... To them, the Hebrews, was committed the oracles of God. The very things God spoke, they had. That's called knowing what to value. Polls from 50 years ago that asked people if they were to be stranded on a desert island, what book would you bring? In that era, almost everyone said the Bible. I hesitate to imagine what book would be brought if even just Christians were asked, or supposed Christians were asked, if they were to be on a desert island and only have one book to read, what would it be? Please do not say Louis L'Amour. Though they had the very oracles, the very words of God, yet the Hebrew people are recorded as having fallen into the juvenile status of immaturity again and again and again, forgetting the basics of the word of God and adopting the principles of the world around them. Remember our context. Remember our context. When we get into this and this admonishment, we start thinking so much about ourselves and we've just forgotten the verses that came before. I want to highlight chapter 5, verse 8 again. Of Jesus Christ in his human ministry, in his humanity, it says, though he was a son, though he was the very son of God, Yet, as a human, listen, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. This is context. Suffering is in our context and learning is in our context so that when admonishment on failure to learn comes up, we must not ignore it because this isn't the first time it's been in our text. We go back to chapter 2 and verse 10. Speaking of Jesus again, for it is fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things. That means he's God, deity, creator God. In bringing many sons to glory, listen, to make the author of their salvation perfect or complete through what? 
sufferings. So if Jesus needed to be brought to a completeness, a maturity, an understanding through sufferings, and he was made a high priest, and he learned obedience to the Father through sufferings, what is needed for Christians today is a mature attitude toward sufferings. It's Father's Day, and this isn't just a father's message. This is a father and mother and child and son and daughter and nephew and niece and you name it, Christian message. Let me read you something from a Puritan. If anyone really examined the Christian walk and the Christian life, it was the Puritans. They specialized on being introspective and they specialized on applying the scriptures directly to their own lives in their intimate chambers of prayer, but also in their public arena of life. It could be said that Puritans knew how to worship God better and to enjoy God more than many other Christians who had gone before them because of this. I want you to listen to Pastor Thomas Case back in the 1600s in his book called Suffering, which, by the way, I got from Morgan Bellamy's mother-in-law. He says, and I quote, Thomas Case says, quote, Correction also brings the children of promise into more acquaintance with the word of God. David was sent into the school of affliction, he says, to learn the statutes of God. Through correction, the people of God learn to read the word more abundantly. He goes on to say, it is our duty at all times to study the word and to let it dwell richly in us, Colossians 3.16. Outward distractions, he says, and inward distempers may many times cause the children of God to be strangers to their Bibles. Let me just read that again. Outward distractions and inward distempers, if you don't know what distempered is, it's something your cat gets and it's bad, they can die of it. <laughs> outward distractions and inward distempers many times cause the children of God to be strangers to their Bibles. They suffer diversions to interpose between the word and their hearts. They pray carelessly. They read carelessly and allow their Bibles to be laid aside while they are taken up with the entertainments of the world. God is forced to deal with them, Case says. God is forced to deal with them as we do with our children, to whip them to their books by the rod of correction. Woo! This is a Baptist church. To whip them to their books with the rod of correction. That is being a good father to your children. I guess this is a Father's Day lesson. Babes, 
do not want to suffer. Immature people do not want to suffer for growth. Nor do they want to remove a painful impediment to their growth. Two examples. A child with a sliver in their finger. We've been there. You've had children with slivers. Do they want you to dig it out? No, they do not. But what must you do? Dig it out. And you tell them what? It's going to hurt, but it has to come out because it'll get infected. It's for your good. We tell them about that. How about this? They're all born with teeth, sometimes called milk teeth, baby teeth. And at some point, if they're going to get grown-up teeth, the baby teeth have to come out. Daddy, I've got a loose tooth. Well, here, let me see that. Let's pull that out. No! The more inquisitive one who kind of wants to have that quarter under his pillow. Now I suppose it's up to ten bucks. I don't know. My day, a quarter was sufficient. So you bribe them into it, Right? Well, if it doesn't come out, you can't have your money from the tooth fairy. So we'll take this string, we'll tie it around it and hook it to the knob of the door. Well, then what's going to happen, Daddy? Oh, you just wait. And he slams the door. And out comes the tooth. Now the big teeth can come in. Why is it that we bribe them with money? Because they want to avoid the pain. Why is it in churches that we bribe people to listen to the word of God? Because too often they are big babies. And they want to suffer no pain. Come on in, we'll give you a latte. Nice soft place to sit. Afterwards, you can play in the sumo suits. Maybe go swimming in our new pool. Which of course is spiritual. What in the world's going on? We're creating Christian infants. Which is the fourth. The fourth sign of Christian immaturity is they are censored for an infantile appetite. For an infantile appetite. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. This is a metaphor for the spiritual nourishment through the elementary doctrinal instruction that is necessary to grow people up that is even at times painful. By the way, this is not said to them to pat them on the back and be a compliment. This is said to their shame. The ultimate insult has been given to these Christians here, and he is expecting them to listen more after they hear it. Can you believe it? Should be teachers. He'd be taught again. 
And now you've come to need milk and not solid food. Even children, right? Even babies, even children do not like being called babies. They don't want to be called a child. You're just being a big baby. I am not. I'm not a big baby. You're a big baby. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah? You get it. And they like to compare themselves to those older. How many have ever gone to a school that had grades in it? And what's one of the first questions that is asked one child to another when they're meeting each other? What grade are you in? And if they find out that you're a third grader, when they're a fourth grader, they can lord it over you. Oh, you're just a third grader. Well, I'm a fourth grader. In every aspect of life, there is a desire to grow up, be more mature, come to a status of adulthood. What's wrong with Christians? That's what he's asking. You've come to need milk. You're being called a baby by the writer of Hebrews. If you want to know how to preach, here it is. And you've got a choice right now. All the hearers of the Hebrews that got this and read this and heard this have a choice, don't they? There's only two options when you hear this, you big babies. One, get angry and become even more dull of hearing. Shut your ears off. La, 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 I can't hear you. What does that look like? Maturity, I'm sure. Or you can say, I'm ashamed of myself. I am undone. God forgive me for being so lazy. Help me, Jesus. I'm a baby. And I need to grow up. You know, I've heard that from people in this con congregation who've come and joined our number and said, you know, I didn't know much. But now I want to learn everything I can. I can't get enough. I've got to know the truth. You know what that's a sign of? Maturity. Even Paul in Corinth speaks to them. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, he says, And I, brethren... Notice he doesn't separate himself from them. He doesn't say, you slimy worms, you non-Christian, you horrible people. He says, no, and I, brethren, you're one of my brothers, could not speak to you as spiritual people. You're my brothers, but I can't speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Oh, thanks, Paul. Write us another letter. That's sure fun. I must speak to you as carnal, those who walk by the flesh. And what does the flesh do? The flesh wants to rule. Even Paul in Romans says there's a war with the spirit that is in you and the flesh that you walk in. And one wars against the other. The flesh wants what it wants and the spirit wants what it wants and they're fighting constantly. That's the Christian life. But if you stay an infant, you give in to the impulses of the flesh. 
Not only do I want ice cream, I'm going to eat out of the carton. I want all the ice cream. Now. Give me what I want. Or I'm emotional. You, you just got to let me go on this. I'm so emotional right now. Get over it. Don't be ruled by your emotions. Your emotions will take you every which way, and it doesn't take long for them to move. I've been happy one minute and terribly sad the next based on circumstances. I've been happy as could be or mad as you know what. And if we let that sway us, we're immature. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Which is actually spirit control, if you get yourself out of the way. I can't speak much more on this, but he's speaking to babes, and he goes on. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able, Paul says in Corinthians 3, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, listen to this, here's a description of infantile babes in Christ. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Divisions in the church. The constant infighting in churches today who call themselves by the name of Jesus Christ is infantile. It is proof that they need to be taught again the first principles of Jesus Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, and in that order. Unless you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then it, it, before if you change that up and say, I'm going to love my neighbor first as myself, then you're going to put God second, and your neighbor and yourself first, and you're going to love them wrong. But if you love God and what he loves first, then you're going to tell them what they need and you're going to tell yourself what you need. You need to follow God in his way and not the way of the world's philosophies and a story. That's a basic principle of God. And churches fight like crazy. I printed this off from the internet proving I can do such things. I found an amazing article. In studying this, I wondered, I wonder how many times the Baptist church has had divisions like in Corinthians and had a church split. I mean, on a major level. I'm not talking in our community. We know that. It's at least probably 10 times. I'm not sure. I'm just guesstimating, but I'm sure I'm not far off. Here's Baptist churches back to 1619 all the way up to 1972, ends at American Baptist Churches in the USA, was preceded by the Northern Baptist Conference. It was preceded by the American Free Baptist Mission Society. Then there became a whole other arm of American Free Baptists. I wonder what they were free to do. Just saying, I don't know. 
Probably like old Pastor Peterson used to say, the EV free church. You know what the free means? He used to tell me. It means free to believe whatever you want. Infantile. I counted 27. Major splits. Oh yeah, we're grown up. We're grown up. Come to need milk and not solid food. You know, when you're raising children, you know what the hardest part really is? It's not the diapers. You get used to that. Amen? You know, it's not feeding them. It's not even getting up at night, taking care of some of their needs. You know what the big thing is? The crying. The crying. Any gal here ever had a baby with colic? Oh, baby. The crying. And the crying. And the crying. And the crying. And so, you know, modern man has developed something to help with crying. It's called a pacifier. We've renamed them in recent years to try and take away the true sense of the meaning. To pacify means to stop crying. Make them content falsely. This isn't really a bottle. This isn't really even something that will feed you, but it'll keep you busy. Suck on this. And if that don't work, you can put a little honey on it. And, and that'll quiet them down for a little while. But what are they really getting from the pacifier? Absolutely nothing. What are they learning from the pacifier? Absolutely nothing. And if someone shows up first day of junior high still sucking on a pacifier, what is going to happen to that poor soul? Just quit. It's over. You're marked as a babe for life in junior high, but not in the church. No, no, no. In the church, we can act like babies. We can have conniption fits. We can fall down on the floor, shake our hands all around, and call it spiritual. You care about the doctrine. And split. Pastors have learned to give pacifiers, which is the reason we're in the state that we are in in the church. There isn't even any milk in it. It just keeps them busy for a while till you can get them back out the door, hopefully get a few dollars out of their pocket and perpetuate the scam. You've just been taken advantage of. You came to be fed and you were given a pacifier. You weren't even given milk. So pastors and church leaders give babies what they want. They'll give them milk to pacify them or a binky. Keep them from fighting with one another, from firing the pastor. Christian doctrine is reduced to veggie tales for adults. Don't even get me started on veggie tales. 
Sermons are shortened in time and filled with entertaining anecdotes, stories, and encouraging steps for earthly life improvement. God is remade into a favored idol set on the shelf of the home next to the unused Bibles and turned to only in times of greatest distress, like a magic genie there to grant the wishes of the babies. And then accused of being unloving if the genie fails to deliver and leaves them in their suffering to try and learn again. The first principles of the oracles of God. Well, now you need milk and not solid food. Solid food has to be chewed masticated, digested, ruminated upon. It means you must think. Christianity is a thinking person's religion. It is God who said to man, come let us reason together. And when Christians turn away from reason and turn away from the world, they become like the Hebrews, needing an admonishment that you're babes. What do we do? What will we be? What should be our focus? God tried to teach Israel. In Isaiah 28, he wrote the woes to Ephraim. Basically, the judgments upon the tribes who had separated and gone north and settled Samaria and set up their own false worship. He spoke to them that they were proud, that they were drunkards, that their priests and their prophets were overcome with wine and their people were pleasure-seeking infants, enamored with idols. By the way, do you know that an idol is a pacifier? There's nothing there, but it'll keep you busy for a while pretending you're spiritual. To them, he says in Isaiah 28, 9, and ask this question, whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breasts? Listen to verse 10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. How do you learn? You must be ready to be taught and mature, and then it is precept upon precept. Notice of repetition, twice in a row, for each. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line of scripture on line of scripture, here a little, there a little. Can I encapsulate this for you? Read your Bible! 
with understanding. We are people of the word, and I know you here love the word, and I know you here care for the word, but like me, you are being chastened by this message, and I am glad of it for all of us. Lest we remain in an infantile state where we cannot progress in our learning, we may not go on and learn about the high priestly ministry according to the order of Melchizedek that is essential for our Christian walk today unless we grow up. And guess what? Next week, next week, I'm going to show you how to escape from ignorance. And I'm going to show you the path to maturity that is commended in our next couple verses. But you got to live with this for a full week. Suffer away. It's for your own good. Let's pray. Father God, how gracious you are to correct us. You are gracious to these Hebrew believers in their time, and you're gracious to us to deliver this to us today. Let us not be dull of hearing. Let us hear your word and grow thereby and become teachers of your word and doers of your word in true faith. We pray your help in this, and we pray your salvation to come upon those who cannot hear it all, for they have not yet believed on your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that they would indeed today believe and be saved from deafness and darkness and eternal punishment and be delivered into the classroom of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody join me in saying, Amen. Amen.